Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On January 19th, eight storytellers share their stories with our audience for our first virtual slam in the new year. The theme for our January Story Slam was Fresh Start. We heard stories about career changes, home renovation projects, and even one about an astronaut's mother. In the end, we had a tie. One of our winners was Mark Lentz with his story of growing up with an abusive father and finding ways to channel his anger. Good evening, everyone. I'm Mark Lentz, and I do spend time on Zoom because I'm a teacher. All right, my fresh start transpired over the span of a few decades. Now, I know that sounds long, but it takes a century for a tree to grow good and proper, so I consider it pretty quick. When I was in third grade, we moved from West York Borough to the Brogue, ideally setting to grow up, but it wasn't. While in the Brogue, things changed, and my mother was exposed to domestic violence. My dad drank. I witnessed her getting beat. As I grew older, still in elementary school, I had had enough of it one night and I stepped in. I wasn't near man enough yet to fight the battle I was about to begin, but it's what I had witnessed and what I had known. That's the same night, a 16 ounce bottle, beer bottle, zoomed by my head and hit the wall The top of the bottle put an indentation in the wall that I can still see today. And if I walked in that house, I could show you exactly where it was. It was still there when we moved out. I don't know if it's even fixed today. I'm sure it is. Many of those nights, my mom would whisk me and my brother out of the house. We'd jump in the car. And it seems like we always stayed in a hotel between East York and Wrightsville. I stayed in all of them, never with a toothbrush. We'd get up the next day and mom would take us to school. No one ever knew what was going on. One day a teacher, my teacher in fourth grade yelled at me because I was unshowered. My neck was dirty yet. There was dirt because we played. I was a kid. That's when my anger really started to grow. This went on. We had periodic breaks. Periodically, there was an uncle that would live with us, one of two. I was never sure why they lived with us. I think my mom begged them to because it gave us a break from it. Eventually, my parents split, but it didn't stop. One day, my dad showed up at the high school, raising heck in the office. I had no idea he was there until they called me down to the office and the assistant principal yelled at me. 
more anger. I ended up being mad at the world. He showed up where I worked. I worked on the horse farm of a wealthy dairy owner outside New Bridgeville. I loved working there. It was my high school job. He showed up there and spun donuts in the grass. I got yelled at again and had to fix it off the clock. I didn't work there much longer after that. I found an outlet. It was wrestling. I so looked forward to practice every day. I didn't even mind getting beat on. I was kind of used to it. I liked the pain. I like dishing it out too. Wrestling's a terminal sport though. I don't call my buddies up and say, hey, Phil, come on over, let's wrestle. It's not like basketball where you can play a pickup game. So I lost my outlet, but I still had my anger and my resentment. Chemicals don't work either. They do at first, but then it only enrages it. Eventually I found some help. A friend of mine, Todd Trimmer, he's passed away about 10 years now, gave me a book, Drop the Rock. The rocks that were pulling me under the water were anger and resentment. I experienced the spiritual oxymoron after writing that, reading that book. I had to forgive those that had hurt me, which was easier than I thought because forgiving someone doesn't mean you need to even approach them. All you need to do is stop fighting because forgiveness, forgiveness and love will conquer anger. And today, I can experience happiness, love, and joy. But I needed a fresh start. Mark earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up is our second winner, Edward Vasta, who shared about a day trip where he had his first experience with skiing. So it's uh, late winter 1985, my senior year in high school, and my friend and classmate Kathy asks me to join her and another friend Charles on a day ski trip to western Pennsylvania. Kathy's not just a friend of mine, she's my supplier. She works part-time after school at a high-end candy store, Shea Chocolat, in the Walt Whitman Mall, conveniently nestled between Sears and Burger King. My weekly visits always end with me leaving with a free bag of delicious Belgian chocolate. So when Kathy asks me to join her and Charles on a trip, I can't refuse. Kathy's an experienced skier. She and her family have been skiing for years. My skiing expertise is limited to having just recently watched the 1984 Winter Olympics on my parents' Sony Trinitron TV. We arrive at the ski lodge. And... 
I grab a pair of rental skis that are purple. They're about half a size too small, but purple's my favorite color. And at that point at age 18, I'm thinking that fashion is more important than form. So I rent the skis. I sign up for a very introductory ski class on the beginner slope. I learn the beginnings of churning and ski snow plowing and holding my poles. And Kathy gets bored and quickly grabs me and Charles off the beginner slope and says, I'm going to teach you how to ski on the intermediate slope. It was then it first occurred to me in life that being good at something is not necessarily the same thing as being able to teach someone. Kathy jumps on the ski lift. Charles and I grab the seat behind her. My legs are dangling over the street, the treetops, and my fear of heights is suddenly overwhelming and my heart is racing. Charles leans over to me and says something in my ear like, I think Kathy's got a crush on one of us. She may be interested. I don't know. Maybe she's interested in me. Maybe she's interested in you. I don't know, but I'm looking forward to finding out. My fear of heights is suddenly overpowered by the realization that maybe Kathy is interested in me. And this is, this is a problem. Because I'm a shy kid and a teenager who hasn't come exactly to the fact and the realization that I'm gay. And while I am pretty sure I'm not ready to tell those people I care about that I have, haven't come out yet, I am positive I'm not ready to be outed on a day ski trip with my two high school classmates. We get to the top of the slope. We're way up at the top and we're looking down at the lodge and I'm staring down at this abyss beyond me. Kathy's barking orders and telling us how to zigzag in a motion like a Christmas tree in order to slow and control our descent properly down the hill. Suddenly the fear is overwhelming and I get this urge to get away from the situation. I think back to the Winter Olympics, I pull up the collar for my Latigra polo shirt, I apply a thick layer of chapstick, I turn to Charles and Kathy, and like the Winter Olympics I had seen just a year earlier, I say, see you at the bottom of the hill. I talk and I push off down the hill. Racing down the hill at speeds I had not considered attainable, I realize that I have absolutely no idea how to steer or control my descent. The screaming in my ears is overwhelmed by the sense of laughter that's coming out of my own mouth as Kathy is zigzagging down the hill behind me screaming, you're going to break your neck. I suddenly come to the realization that I have absolutely no idea how I'm going to stop as I'm getting to the bottom of the hill. And I think back to the professionals a few months earlier and I decide I'm going to slice into the hill and do a gracious stop. Except instead of looking more like a professional skier, I look a little bit more like a figure skater and I do a complete 180 and I end up backwards on my skis. Now, I, I know they say time slows down when something is happening, but seconds felt like minutes as I skied backwards, watching Kathy coming down, following me screaming, and my, I fall flat on my back and I'm thinking back to the ski instructor saying, properly fitted skis should fall off in the event of a fall preventing major injury. Well, my skis were not properly fitted and are properly frozen to my feet. I continue to slide down. I finally come to a screeching halt. I stand up and check myself to see I'm relatively undamaged other than my pride and my ego. I brush off my soaking wet members only jacket and my corduroy jeans pop off my skis and decide to head to the lodge. Kathy eventually catches up. She comes up next to me, punches me hard in the arm and says, you're an idiot. Then she winks, smiles, 
grabs Charles by the arm, and pulls him back up to the ski lift where the two continue up and down the hill for the rest of the afternoon, enjoying each other's company. Well, apparently my bold move broken, had broken whatever interest Kathy may have had in me, and I'm not really sure if I'm the one she was interested in. But for me, I return to the lodge, I get a hot chocolate and I sit by the fire, and I reflect on my first downhill ski racing experience. I think back to a few weeks ago in health class where my, one of my classmates asked my health teacher, do you think there are any gay students in this high school? And my teacher says, there are over 2,000 students in this building. Not only am I certain there are gay students, there may even be in this class. I remember my face turning so red. I felt like the world could see me for what I was before I had expressed it to myself or to those that I loved. Well, my face was just as red now sitting in front of the fire, except it was red from windburn, from blood pressure, and from the excitement of letting go. It was the beginning of my experience of be, being able to express to myself, this is who I am, and I'm about to start a journey that's going to take a while. Well, it was a few years before I was actually able to say the words out loud to Kathy or to anyone else, this is me, I'm gay, love me for who I am. It was my first and my last time skiing. And it was my first and my last time on a date with a member of the fairer sex. And while I continued my journey to freedom, for the rest of senior year, Kathy stayed my friend. She also continued to be my supplier. Edward also earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Eileen Joyce. Eileen shared her story of preparing for an inevitable career change away from her pet tiger. Hi, I'm Eileen and I'm a recovering journalist. Um, these days, I know more people who are former journalists, I think, than uh, continue to work as journalists. It's a shrinking industry. And that led me many years ago to come up with my theory of journalism as having a pet tiger. Um, this used to take longer to explain, but everybody watched Tiger King during the quarantine, so it's easier now. So if I told you I had a pet tiger, you would be like, oh, that is so cool. Can I take a picture with your tiger? Can I pet your tiger? Can I feed your tiger? You'd be super nice. But also in the back of your mind, you'd be like, that tiger is going to bite her fucking arm off one day. And we all know it. If you tell people you work in a newspaper, they're like, oh, that's so cool. You get to take pictures all day. You get to meet people, talk to strangers, do all this fun stuff. But anybody who knows journalism is like, she's going to get laid off one day. It's going to happen. So for me, my first experience with the pet tiger came in December of 2008, which if you remember was right at the beginning of the Great Recession. And I got laid off from a job in Cincinnati um, at the paper there, which was owned by Gannett. And Gannett loves like making budget by just cutting 10% of their workforce and they have for years. And so, I mean, I knew it was coming or I should have known it was coming. I remember going home that day and calling my parents and I told my dad and he said, well, the way the economy is, it'll probably be a year before you get a job. That was not helpful. I mean, it just made me cry more, but <laughs> he was right. So 14 months later, um, I was this close to going back to school to get my MBA. I'd been accepted, had scholarships and stuff. And then I got a job offer from the York Daily Record in a little town in York, Pennsylvania. And I thought, do I go get an MBA 
in logistics or do I go back to the tiger pit? Um, I chose the tiger pit because what they don't tell you or what I haven't mentioned yet is that newsrooms are also super fun places. They're full of interesting people who make crazy phone calls all day long. They know all the hottest gossip and they're almost reporters and people, they're super smart and pizza. <laughs> so it's a great place to hang out and I couldn't resist. And for six years, I had a great time. I, we got to do stories, there weren't budget cuts. I worked with some great photographers and it was just amazing. Then in 2016, we found out that our paper was, gonna, was getting purchased by a little company called Gannett. Now, they were like, we've changed. We paid off our debts. We spun off our company. We don't have the same problems. They even had a hashtag new Gannett. They put it everywhere. Hashtag new Gannett. We had a party. There was a hot air balloon. They were so excited because things were going to be different. It's like your bad boyfriend coming back and saying, baby, I've paid off my credit cards. I'm a different person. I've gone to counseling. It's going to be better. But, you know, I publicly, I was like, okay, okay. I'll give the new boyfriend a chance. But privately, right, you make your own plans. So in the fall of 2016, I enrolled in a Master of Science degree for data science that was like in my spare time after work. So it was an online program and I, was, I spent two years going working all day and then uh, learning how to code and do data stuff all night. I mean, it was, I was really starting from nowhere. It took me a month to like figure out that uh, my classes were in like two different programming languages. I was... I was flailing there, but at least I had a goal, something else that wasn't worrying about what Gannett was doing or where my job was going to go. So sure enough, two years later, I'm finishing my degree. I am literally one day from defending my master's project that will officially give me my uh, master's degree. And I get a text message. I'm at the University of Missouri for, to do this defense. And the text message is like, oh, the editors would like to talk to you later. When is a good time for a conference call? And I remember reading that text message and sighing loudly. And my classmate was like, what's up? And I said, mm, I'm probably getting laid off today. And he's like, does that happen? And I was like, oh, poor child who doesn't work in journalism. It happens all the time. So sure enough, I get on that conference call later and I'm informed that my job is going to go away at the end of June. Now, there are three things that I immediately thought. Like the first was, it's not great when you don't get to leave a job on your own terms. I mean, I always think like, I wanted to be able to say goodbye in my own way, which was gonna be in September because I'd already planned at that point after I got my degree to leave my job in like August or September and head to the West Coast um, from here in Seattle, where my family's at, because also there's better job prospects for data science out here. And then, but the third thing was that since they were getting rid of my job and I wasn't quitting, I got a nice little severance package to help cushion that blow. So overall, you know, a little sad to be leaving newsrooms, sad that the decision was made for me and I didn't get to make that decision, but a little cash helps. So you know, is it karma that I didn't get to make that decision? Probably, because I'm the dumbass who had a chance to go start a fresh start two years or actually eight years earlier, but instead I went and got myself another pet tiger. Thanks. All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York. Tickets for our events are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. 
While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. Please also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. A big thank you to our 2021 sponsor, KBG Injury Law, whose generous support is making this season possible. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.